Hey, good morning, church. How we doing? Man, you could do better than that. How we doing this morning? Hey, good to see you. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really excited to be continuing this series, Have It All. And uh, we're talking about living and giving from the overflow. We have so much, and we live and give out of what God has given us. We don't have a mindset of lack, but we have a mindset of abundance, that we serve a God that owns it all, that has it all, and so in the same way, we can tap into that source at any time. I hope this series has been encouraging you. Um, We talked about living content the first week, and uh, today, though, I want to talk to you about sacrifice. But before we jump in there, uh, I got a an announcement to make. I don't know if you follow us on, uh, on, we have an e-newsletter that goes out every single week or if you saw on social media, but I said I have a huge announcement, the, the biggest announcement, I think, in the history of our church. And so I, I need you to be praying because this announcement comes with somewhat of a caveat um, that, that this is not a done deal. But I wanted to let you guys know because uh, we're a family here. And as a family, like, sometimes you got to have a family talk, right? And you got to keep the family uh, up on what's happening in the family's affairs. These are, this is family news, all right? Um, this, is, this isn't fake news. This is real news going down at Project Church. And, and so I'm excited to tell you that last Friday we went into escrow on a building. Um, yeah, so come on, somebody. So I think we have some pictures uh, so I'm, we're going to show you guys the building. So some of you are like, where is it? it this is an old sack. And so this is, if you want to go check it out, 1200 Second Street. And uh, you can go drive by. You can go pray. So we are in the process of purchasing this building. And uh, escrow means it's not done, all right? And so we put uh, some money down. And uh, it's about going to take probably 30 days to close, 30 to 60 days, somewhere in there. And so it's not a done deal yet, but it's looking pretty good, all right? And uh, we're in process of purchasing this building. It's 20,000 square feet. It also has two parking garages underneath it that we own, which is pretty crazy. You don't get that in Old Sack. Uh, So basically everything that we wanted, this building had. And so I need you guys to be praying that God would provide, uh, that God would let this process of escrow finalize. And, and that God would open the door for us to walk in uh, in an amazing way. Now, that means we still have some work to do, y'all. Um, and so I'm going to, on November 18th, we're having Vision Sunday. I want to encourage you guys to come back that day because I'm going to lay out what it's going to take for us to get in this building. We're going to have like 3D renderings. We're going to have uh, imaging of what this will look like, the building, once we're in. It has uh, some construction to be done on it. So just so you know, you're probably going like, oh, how long? Like next week? Like no. Um, it's probably going to take us 9 to 12 months until we're actually in the building um, with with all the permits we need, and then the build-out we have to do, the money we have to raise. Uh, It's going to be a process. But how many of you know that in in our lives, 9 to 12 months can go by pretty quick? Uh, If you're like six years old in here, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's like forever. But those of us that are adults in the room, we understand 
uh, that one year goes by pretty quick. Uh, nine months goes by pretty quick. And so just like I'm hoping nine months because that's how long it takes to uh, give birth to a baby. So, hey, uh, that's what's going to happen. And so we're so excited. Thank you guys for your prayers, but we need you to keep me praying, all right? If you want to go down there and walk around it and pray, we're going to actually have some opportunities to do that as a church uh, coming up. We'll be talking about that at Vision Sunday. But I encourage you, come back November 18th. It's just a few weeks away as we roll out what this is going to take, what it's going to look like, and, uh, and then we're excited for what God's going to do, all right? How many excited? Come on, somebody. I. Uh, I've been trying to contain it because my excitement has been a little overwhelming, I think, for some people. But, you know, when you've been in the process, we've been looking for a building for about a year and a half. And uh, we had God close door after door. We put offers in. You guys don't know all this because I didn't keep you updated, like, on every little minor detail. I was trying not to get anybody's hopes up. But we put offers in on probably, like, eight or nine different buildings either to lease or to purchase, and everyone was met with a closed door. But I want to tell you something. Every building that we actually put an offer on, tried to purchase, tried to lease, every single time I had the mentality that this building is great, but, like every single building, it was, this building is great, but there was always something missing. And when my wife and I walked through this building, I walked out and I said, Chrissy, there's no but. Like, there's, there's no but. This is everything we need to do what I believe God is calling us to do. It's everything I imagine. In fact, you can't really tell, but there's even like a grass patio area out in front that we get to use every Sunday. And, and so, and that's, you don't have that in Old Sack either, anywhere else. And so it was like everything that we needed was this building, and it just happened that this is the building that God opened the door for. And so here's what I believe. I believe sometimes we got to wait because God is in the waiting, and he's got something even better for you. And so some of you need to receive that word today because you've been waiting on a promise from God, and you wonder why, why he's closing doors. But let me tell you, he closes doors because he's got an even greater door that he's going to open for you. So let's believe for this. Would you guys be praying with us? Would you commit to pray? In fact, why don't we pray right now? God, thank you for this opportunity. Lord, thank you that we're in escrow. But God, we know we need you to continue to work. We need you to make this come to pass. We need you to, to bring this to fulfillment. And so, Lord, we put it in your hands. We thank you that you've given us patience to wait on you. But, God, in the waiting, may we know that, that you've, you have a plan. Those people in this room that have been waiting on something, they've been waiting on a promise. They've been waiting on you to do something. God, I pray they continue to be patient to wait on you, to trust in you. And, God, we pray that you would make a way where there seems to be no way. Bring the money in. Bring the finances in. Bring everything we need in, God, to accomplish this. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, you guys need to be praying, okay? I need you to pray every day that this happens, that this comes to fulfillment. But let's jump in here. I want to talk to you about saved by the sacrifice. That's the title of my message today. Now, I know some of you are maybe here for the first time. We're so glad you're here. Uh, I do want to say to you that this is going to be a message, uh, and I'm going to talk about money. And uh, some people go, man, the church, that's all they talk about. All they do is talk about money. And I'll tell you straight up, for the first two and a half years of Project Church, maybe almost three years, I refuse to talk about money. I was like, I don't want to be that pastor. I don't want us to be that church. So we did receive an offering every week, but we didn't talk about it. I never preached on it. I never taught on it. I, I never brought it up because I didn't want to be that guy. I don't want to be a church that was known for that. But then I started reading the Bible a little more. And I started looking at Jesus' teachings. 
And I realized Jesus talked about money more than he talked about any other topic. In fact, a third of Jesus' parables are about money, finances, possessions. So if Jesus was talking about it, and, and if the Bible talks about it a lot, how could we not? In fact, I realized that I was doing our church a disservice by not talking about it. I wasn't really pastoring our church fully by not talking about it. And so today, we're going to talk about your money. We're talking about my money. We're going to talk about what God has given us and how we're supposed to manage it. Jesus said uh, what I believe is the greatest thing we need to, to take to heart, and that's that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we need to hear about this because I think some of us have put our treasure in the things of this world. Or we've made an elevated things of this world more than we should have. And our heart has become connected to stuff rather than our Savior. And so I want to encourage us today as we talk about money that you would have open hearts. I know some of you are like, oh, here we go. I had to come to church today. Uh, I tricked you by telling you there was a big announcement just so you'd be here today. No, uh, I, I know that maybe some of you are here for the first time. And, and I want you to, to receive those and say, you know what, God, give me an open heart. To hear what it is you want me to hear. You see, God is not a God of condemnation. And we don't want to be a church of condemnation. But we do want to be a church that, that speaks the truth and of restoration. And God wants to, I believe, challenge us to grow. I don't know about you, but I want to stay the same. How do you want to grow? You want to get better. You want to become more like God. You want to get stronger. You want to be healthier. All these kinds of things. You want your finances to be better. Man, that's why we got to talk about this. So let's jump in here. What we've been doing in this series is we've been walking through Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 18. We've gone verse by verse. We hit the first three verses the first week. Last week, uh, Chrissy talked about capacity with verse 13 through 17. Today I'm focusing on one verse, verse 18, as we talk, to, talk about saved by the sacrifice. Let's read it. I have received full payment and more. Paul is talking here. He says, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. Acceptable and pleasing to God. So if you've missed any of this series, I encourage you to go back and watch on iTunes or listen on iTunes. You can watch on our YouTube channel or on our website. Uh, but, but in this series, what we've done, we talked about and looked at what Paul was talking to the church in Philippi about. And Paul is writing from a jail cell in Rome. And what happened is he's writing to them about their generosity. He's writing to them thanking them and thanking God that they've been so generous to him. What they did is they actually sent a dude named Epaphroditus from the church of Philippi all the way to Rome to take care of Paul. To attend to his needs, to, to help him. And so he's giving thanks for them. But as he's talking about them, he talks about the gifts they've sent through Epaphroditus. And, and he goes on and he says, it was a fragrant offering. It was a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, David, in the Old Testament, he talks about how can I give God something that costs me nothing? We got to give things to God, but they have to cost us something. In fact, it's not sacrifice if it doesn't cost us something. And a lot of us are going through life, and I'm guilty of this. Uh, we're going through life, and, and there's this mentality in the church where we think that Christians are supposed to be poor. And this has been taught that if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be poor. I mean, Christians are humble, and they're poor, and they have nothing, and their bank accounts are empty, and they're broke, and they're struggling. And, and, and if you do all those things and all that's going on in your life, then you really love Jesus. And some of you have embraced that mindset. 
Or then there's this other mindset in the church where it's like, no, if you love Jesus, then your bank account is full. You're thriving. You're rich. Uh, you, you got more than enough. It's, it's this mentality uh, that, that, that God just pours out only on those who love Jesus. And if you really love Jesus, then you'll have everything you need financially. And that's not what the Bible says either. So what I believe in what Paul talks about, and you need to go back and listen to the message on content, contentment, and, uh, and this, this message on capacity is that what God is saying to us is, look, in whatever season, what Paul is writing, whatever season we need to be content. Whether we're abounding or whether we have little, we need to be content. And what I believe is that we've taught in the church wrong teaching to where we think, okay, if I'm poor, I love Jesus, or if I'm rich, I love Jesus. And, and the reality is that there are times when we're abounding and there are times when we're low. But in it all, God loves us, and he still has a plan for us. And can we be content in it? And can we trust him when we have a lot? And can we trust him when we have nothing? And so sacrifice is something we have to learn as followers of Christ. Because if we don't sacrifice, if we're not giving up something, then are we really committed to the God that we say we love? You know, I love my wife. She's sitting over here. Uh, She's amazing. But let me tell you, when I married her, I had to sacrifice some things. I had to give up something. I had to give up my independence. Uh, I had to give up my, my alone time. My wife has quality time, and I, I enjoy my alone time a little more. So I had, to, I had to give up my bed because this girl be cuddling on me all night long. I had to give up more peaceful sleeps because now I sweat a lot. I got this person attached to me, right? I had, to, I had to give up something. She's a cuddler. How many got cuddlers in your life? Come on. Give God some praise for some cuddlers. I do love my wife's cuddles now. I've grown to embrace them. Now she's like, oh, you're cuddling me now. Okay. You see, it's not about equal giving. I think in the church we, we, we get focused on equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. That's what God is looking for. It's not about that we all give the same. It's that we all sacrifice the same. Not equal giving, equal sacrifice. I want to jump in here, and I want to clarify what the Bible actually tells us about rich and poor. And I'm going to, i got a a fun illustration for us today. That's why these tables are up here, and I only have a few minutes, so I need to get going. But I believe there's four categories of people as it relates to money. There's four categories of people as it relates to, to money that we see in the Bible. The first category is this, the ungodly poor. You know you can be poor and still ungodly. Did you know that? I, I think some of us think, oh, if they were poor, then they love Jesus. And, and, and Jesus is nearer to those who are poor. No, actually, the Bible tells us there's ungodly poor. It says in Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. You see that? That's ungodly poor. You can be poor, and, and it can be because you don't work, because you don't labor. It's not just because you love Jesus, so I'm just, I'm humble, so I'm poor. No, it's because you're lazy, because you're a sluggard. The desire of the sluggard kills him. His hands refuse to labor. What happens is we desire things. We don't know how to attain them, so we just sit back and do nothing. And so what we have to be is, and we have to understand is that there are ungodly poor. In fact, there's also ungodly, foolish, poor people. It says, Proverbs 20 and 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. You know what worthless pursuits are? The lottery, y'all are guilty this week, okay? The mega millions, y'all were like, oh, I'm buying like 20 tickets. Some of you have given more money into the lottery than you've given into the church this last year. Come on, somebody. 
oh, I didn't think you would respond that way. We, we pursue, in fact, one version says we follow after fantasies. It says chasing fantasies. And so how many of us, and listen, I'm all about grinding and I'm all about pursuing your dreams and all out, I'm all about going after what God has put in your heart. But sometimes we go after things that we know where you shouldn't go after. And it's a fantasy. And, and, and it's not reality. It's worthless pursuits when we should be grinding and, and, and following through on and working hard what God has put in our hands. And oh, maybe you don't have any land. Most of you don't own land. But God has put something in your hand. He's given you something, and you're to work at it. Work at it with all your might. Work at it with all you have. There are ungodly poor, ungodly foolish poor. Proverbs 13, 18 says, Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. This is the ungodly stubborn poor. (laughs) But whoever heeds reproof is honored. You see, we got to listen to instruction. And I want to tell you that God will surround you with people that will guide you that will encourage you, that will speak into you. So let's be real today. You can be poor and not love Jesus. You can be poor and still living ungodly. And so just because people are poor doesn't mean that they're close to the heart of God. I want you to hear this. The Bible actually lays this out as we've seen. Let's talk about, though, the godly poor. How many of you there are godly poor? This is number two. The second category of people as it relates to money. The godly poor. It says in Proverbs 22, 22 through 22. 23, do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Let me, let me hear some noise. Some of you are saying, man, I'm poor, but God's got my back. How many of you know when you're poor, God's got your back. Somebody tries to rob you, he's going to rob them. So that's a good uh, uh, indicator and reminder for us, to, those of us that would say, man, I'm wealthy. I have a lot that we don't take advantage of the poor. Because God will see that. But let me tell you, God's got the back of the poor. He does. He supports them. Psalm 113, 7 and 8 says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. Man, God elevates the poor. In fact, the Bible, it flips the whole kingdom of earth on its axis. It flips it on its top. And it says this, if you're last, you're going to be first. If you're first, you're going to be last. So some of us are trying to be first in this life. And I want to tell you that in the kingdom of God, it says the last will be first. You want to be uh, the first in the kingdom of God, you need to be the servant of all. That's what Jesus said. We need to serve first and foremost. We need to sacrifice. We need to give of ourselves. This is what I'm talking about. God has the back of the poor, the godly poor. Luke 6, 20 and 21 says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor. You see that? Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. When we follow God, when we serve God, we can be poor and be close to God. And so this, this mentality that, uh, that, that there's a prosperity gospel out there, that if you love God, then you'll never have need, and, and you'll always have a lot, and, and your bank account will be full is a lie. There are godly poor, but there are also ungodly poor. Number three, the, the third category of people as it relates to money is the ungodly rich. How many of you know there's ungodly rich out there? 
ungodly rich. So, so there's a story about the rich young ruler. You guys heard this story before? Jesus tells this story. And, and what happens is he goes to, or this guy shows up to him. He's a, he's a rich young ruler. And he says, Jesus, what must I do to receive eternal life? And, and we find this in, in Luke chapter 18 and in some of the other gospels. And Jesus says to him, he says, this is what you have to do. You know the commandments. He says, don't commit adultery. Don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And some of you are like, man, I've done all those, I'm good. And then he says, all these, the, the rich young ruler says, all these I've done. He says, I've done all this. What more do I need to do, Jesus? What more do I need to do? And Jesus says to him something that he couldn't receive. He says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became sad, for he was extremely rich. And then Jesus says to his disciples, he says, It's harder for a, man, a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. And the disciples are like, oh my gosh, like, then who can make it into heaven? Like, ain't nobody rich getting in. And then Jesus says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. So hear me in this. You can be ungodly and rich. You can be rich and ungodly. And you want to know how? It wasn't about the rich young ruler's wealth. It was about the rich young ruler's heart. You see, his money and his possessions mattered more to him than following Jesus. And you know, I actually read this passage a lot, like in my life, because I consider myself rich living in America and I, I read this passage a lot, and I say to myself often, I say, if God asks me to give up everything I have right now, could I do it? If God asked me to sell both my cars, to empty out my bank accounts, to give up my paycheck, and, and to leave and to just follow what he's telling me to do, could I do it? I ask myself that question regularly, and I would encourage you to ask yourself that question. Because if you cannot respond to that question with yes, then we have to check our heart. If Jesus right now said, sell your house, sell your cars, sell it all, and, and give it away. And I'm not telling you he needs, he's telling you to do that, all right? So everybody chill. But if he did, how would you respond? Could you receive it? Would your heart respond? Because if you could not do it, then I would challenge you that your heart is not close to him. That your heart needs to change and God needs to alter something because your possessions have become your treasure. Your possessions have become your, have, has been where your heart is. James 5.1 says, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Oh my goodness. That's really encouraging. And some of you in here are going, well, I, I don't think I'm rich, Caleb. Like, that's not me. That's not me. But let me give you some statistics. If you own a car... You're in the top 4% of richest people in the world. Let me give you another statistic. If you make more than $32,500 a year, you are in the top 1% of earners in the entire world. So I want you to think about it for a second. Because I, I think right now most of us are like, oh, dang. Which category do you fall in? You see there's a fourth one. The fourth category is the godly rich. The godly rich. And I believe this one's hard. Because Jesus said it's hard, but he also said what's impossible with man is possible with God. And some of us are like, I don't see any rich people that love Jesus in the Bible. Let me tell you, Abraham, 
He was rich. My man had a lot. He had stocks on stocks. I'm talking about livestock, okay? Livestock on livestock. He had land. He had so much. And this was the man that God started his people group with. Abraham was rich. King Josiah was rich. King Solomon was rich. King David was rich. A man after God's own heart. Joseph of Arimathea gave his tomb to Jesus. He didn't have to loan it for very long. Come on, somebody. Three days later, he got it back. But let me tell you, Joseph of Arimathea was rich. He was rich because he owned a tomb. If you owned a tomb in this day, you were a rich person. And he gave it to Jesus. Why? Because he loved him. Because he loved God. You can be godly and rich. Hear me today. We don't feel rich today, I think a lot of us, because we lack perspective. Some of you just got perspective when I said 32,500 a year, you're in the top 1% of earners in the entire world. That means the majority of you in this room are in the top 1% of earners in this world. Some of you are like, not me, I'm a college student. Good for you. It's going to be easier for you to get into heaven right now. But someday you'll have a job. Someday you'll have a job. And you got to get ready to check your heart. The godly rich, we are out there and it comes down to our hearts. It comes down to, Luke 4, 11, 42 says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing that until there is no more need. You see, the word of God tells us that we're to bring something to God. We're to bring something to his house. We're to bring something to our Savior. And I've talked about it before. The New Testament doesn't talk a ton about tithing. And, and some people have said, Jesus never talked about tithing. But right here he did. He told the Pharisees, he says, yeah, good for you. You're tithing. You're bringing the first. But you are neglecting a few things. He said, you're neglecting justice. You're neglecting mercy. You're neglecting the love of God. But then he says, but you should have done both. You see, some of us are okay with just dropping some money in the bucket, but we treat our wives like crap. We treat the people around us like crap. We don't love our neighbor. We don't take care. And, 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 and the people we come across, we don't bless. And then some of us, we're like, oh, I'm really kind to everyone, but I, I can't give. I mean, I'm trying to survive. I wanted to, to illustrate for us tithing today. And some of you, you've never given. And I want to challenge you today, because we got a building coming. No, I'm just playing. Uh, I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you, not because of a building, not because without your giving, church wouldn't happen, which is true, but because our giving is a matter of our heart. Because what we do with our finances is directly connected to where our treasure is. And we're in Hope Week, and some of you have donated, and many of you have brought Boxes for kids for Operation Christmas Child. Many have brought bags of groceries for, for, for people, and I'm so thankful. But I want to illustrate this, so, so we're going to start. Come on. You guys ready? What are we doing back here? I want to illustrate this for you. I, I don't know if you know about this idea of the first fruits. This is what the Bible talks about. I want to show something. So, so this is a bag of potatoes. Look at this crew behind me. Oh, my goodness. So how many of you like potatoes? 
I like potatoes. You got to cook them up. So I, I want to just illustrate for you. So I got one bag of potatoes for God, and, and I get nine bags of potatoes. All right, we, we got apples. Okay, one bag, this is this idea of tithe or tenth. You get it, right? You get what I'm saying? One bag of apples for me, God gets nine bags of apples. Don't these people look good today? Oh, my goodness. Give it up for them. How many like apples, man? I love apples, green apples. Ooh, look at this cluster of grapes. Oh, my goodness. We got some grapes here. I, I, I give God one. And, and anybody want a grape? Here you go. We lost one. Enjoy. I don't think they've been washed. <laughs> he already put it in his mouth. We got one bag of, what are these, tangerines, oranges? Yeah, they look like cuties. Okay, okay, cuties. One bag of cuties. No, they're sweet clementines, it says. One bag of sweet clementines for God. Man, nine for me. Come on, somebody. Nine for me. Oh, a pineapple. Oh, my goodness. We're getting real fruity up in here. Man, I love pineapples. They're horrible to cut, though. That's why I only buy them already pre-cut. Pineapples. So I get one, and, and God gets nine pineapples. Ooh, a cantaloupe. Here we go. Another one of the wonderful fruits that my children like to eat. We give God one, and, and we get nine. You guys see what hap- what's happening right now up here? What is this? Oh, this is a papaya. Oh, my goodness. I would not have known. I did not know papayas were this big. Did you know that? Look at this. My goodness. We, get, we give God one papaya, and, and we get nine. Ooh, cabbage. Oh, yes, cabbage. I give God one cabbage. I get nine cabbages. Man, we're just getting started. You guys see what's happening right now? Are you seeing this? Is this, is this registering for you? Oh, what do we got next? Oh, this is not of God, broccoli. <laughs> this is when we know that, that uh, after the fall we were cursed. Right? Because broccoli, ha- I'm playing. Some of you are like, I love greens. <laughs> I love broccoli. Oh, bananas. Okay. So we give God one cluster of bananas and, and we get nine clusters of bananas. What's this one? Ooh, a mango. Oh, come on, somebody. Ooh, I love me some mango. Yes, sir. The Nanda mango. Nanda Tommy mango. That's what's up right there. There goes another grape. Yes, yeah, so we get give God one, and we get nine. Coconut. Wow, we went all out this year. It's an easy open coconut. You ever seen one of these? You can just break it on the ground, apparently. So we give God one, and, and he gives nine. Ooh, a lemon. Okay, God, you get, you get one lemon, God. And, and I'm going to take nine lemons. I'm going to take nine. You guys are doing amazing. What do we got next? There goes the coconut. What's this? Squash. How many are ready for Thanksgiving? Come on, somebody. Thanksgiving is coming. It's almost here. Can you guys believe it's November this coming week? You ain't ready. I ain't ready either. We give God one squash, and and we get nine. So I, I wanted to illustrate this for you because I think sometimes we get this mindset 
that I, I can't give because I don't know how I'm going to make it. I can't get, and this is, this is 10%. Like, does this impact you at all? This is what God gets. This is what I have. This is mine. This is what I give to God. And this is what I have. And I want to tell you something right now. 90% with God is so much better than 100% when it's all you. 90% when God's in it is so much better than 100% when it's you trying to manage it. And there's actually statistics that say and show and point to us what happens when we tithe because it makes us budget and focus in a different way. That we're able to manage the 90 better when we say, God, I'm going to give you the 10. Now some of you, you need to start with just one. Like just give God a coconut, okay? You, you've never given anything. Maybe you need to start with 1%. You say, God, this is it. I'm going to give you this, and I get all that. Look at that. Maybe you need to start there. Maybe you go, okay, I'm, I'm going to go, you know what, I'm going to go for 3%. Okay, God, you can have the cabbage, the coconut, and the papaya, and, and I'm going to try to handle and manage all the rest. But some of you need to just take a step of faith right now and say, you know what, God, I've never done it. I've never tried it. I don't know how, how to make a way, but I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to give. I'm going to start being faithful. I wanted you to see this physically. Because I think sometimes we hear this idea of like giving back to God and, and we go, but how, how am I going to survive? You see, this is about sacrifice. And let me tell you, the sacrifice is not much. This is about sacrifice, and the sacrifice is pretty minimal compared to what God has given us. I mean, we got this, and we give this to him. You see, I believe God can do so much more when we walk a life of sacrifice, when we walk a life of faith. And so I said to you at the beginning, the title of my message is Saved by the Sacrifice. And I love the imagery that, that Paul paints here when he says, he says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from you the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, this fragrant offering, there was something that was done in this day. They would bring the sacrifices into the temple and they would burn incense alongside of the sacrifice. They were brought and sacrificed in the temple to God, and they would burn this incense. And so what he's saying is, he's saying this, this offering you're bringing, it has that sweet smell. It has that, that sweet aroma. When we give, when we bless, we aren't doing it simply for the people we are bringing them to as much as we are doing it unto God. It's not just about Project Church. It's not just about a building someday. It's not just about doing church. It's about, God, I got to sacrifice. God, I got to bring something. God, I want you to know that you've given me all this anyways, so I'm going to give a little bit back to you. Saved by the sacrifice. But listen to me, church. You aren't saved by the sacrifice of you. You see, your sacrifice doesn't save you. Your sacrifice can't save your life there was a sacrifice a fragrant offering 
a, a, a sacrifice that was given not through you, but for you. You see, there's an even greater sacrifice, and this is where your salvation comes from. The sacrifice made by our Savior. Ephesians 5, 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The most sweet-smelling sacrifice, the most sweet-smelling off smelling offering was done through Jesus Christ on the cross. You aren't saved by your sacrifice. You're saved by his. But guess what? Because of his now, we say, God, I'm going to give back because you've blessed me so much. Because you've given to me so much. I want you to hear me, church. Your sacrifice isn't going to save you. But your sacrifice is a response to the saving sacrifice of your Savior. It's a response from your heart of saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. I'm going to give back to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given me breath. You've given me life. You've given me energy. You've given me my job. You've given me everything I have. I wouldn't have this if it wasn't for you. And I wouldn't have eternal life if it wasn't for you. So i got to give a little bit back, not to save you, but to say thank you. Your sacrifice doesn't save you. Your sacrifice says thank you for him who made the ultimate sacrifice. A sweet-smelling sacrifice. A fragrant offering. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Would you bow your heads with me across this place?